welcome to the Wade Pool Mag Podcast. My name is Brian Dickerson. Today, my guest is Matt Eastlock from Colliers. And uh, this is really exciting because Matt helps do feasibility studies for wave pools and surf parks. So you have a great idea, you've got some investment, you've got a plan. He'll tell you whether it's going to fly or uh, sink. So Matt, welcome to welcome to the Wave Pool Mag Podcast. Hello, Brian. Yes, hello. And uh, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Now, um, before we jump into it, can you give us a little background uh, about yourself, uh, how you became involved and what it is you do now, your surf background, your your business background, and you're living in Bristol, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I'm, I'm based in the UK near Bristol, um, and I now lead the destination consulting team at Collier's. And I've been in the college business for over 15 years in the same team, Destination Consulting. Um, and prior to that, I've done various things, but I had a uni- university background in psychology uh, and really I kind of think of myself as, as a generalist and really sort of learned it on the job as much as anything. Um, and we do a lot of work across all sorts of different destination developments, but over the last decade or so, the surf parks has become a real specialism. Now that that's interesting because Collier's it's this uh, giant, well-known company for for doing destinations and leisure, and within that, um, you have this little niche of uh, surf parks. So <laughs> I'm curious, how uh, large is Collier's? And when did they decide to uh, look at wave pools and surf parks? Yeah, so um, it's important to take a step back and think of the wider business. So Colliers are a top three global uh, real estate advisory company. Anything to do with commercial property, almost anywhere in the world. We're in most countries, most cities. Um, So we've got a really big network um, around the world. Um, We... uh, Whilst I'm based in the UK, I'll often work with our international colleagues in all sorts of other places and uh, local situations. Um, and the wider business deals with anything to do with real estate. And our specific specialism is helping advise on putting together yeah, the early stage planning of of a destination development. As, and in the surf parks particularly, um, we really focus on, I'd say, like feasibility studies, business plans, due diligence, but then the wider company also has experience and in the surf park sector specifically we've done we've helped people find sites get their land together we've helped get the planning permission the entitlements uh do valuations there's all sorts of extra services that come in and around it but at the core of our experience in this space i'd say is this is the feasibility study and trying to work out is this a good plan is it going to work and at sort of what level okay now when as this started to come up through through Colliers, was there a certain set of matrix that worked in their traditional real estate uh, developments and projects that had to be, I don't know, uh, tweaked or tuned or totally reinvented to apply to surf parks, or was there no difference at all? It's um, it's definitely uh, refined for it, but the principles are the same. So I could be working on. A new museum on the one hand uh, that's quite a non-commercial thing but you go through a process of trying to think through what is the concept here is it going to be attractive to people are people going to come is it compelling enough to warrant to visit and what what are people going to do here 
who's going to visit and why. Uh, and we spent a lot of time focusing on the visitor forecasting so that quantifying an estimate of how many people might come and getting into the detail on that. Because once you get that bit right, that often helps lead to uh, more solid financial projections around revenue and profitability and things that flow from that. And it's often the bit that's easiest to overestimate. Okay. Um, I, but I when you, just, I'm, I'm curious about the process for doing that, uh, for finding out how many people will show up at a surf park, how what they will pay, um, how interesting is surfing? Can yeah, you... Um, exactly. And in the earlier days, so we've done a good 30 plus projects all around the world over a 10 year time frame, say, um, you were operating in a space where there aren't and weren't other surf parks to compare to. So um, if you are doing a museum project or something like a hotel, which is more commercial, there are many others that you can look at and you can say, okay, there's 10 other relevant museums. They get this sort of visitor numbers. Um, they, they price themselves at this sort of a level and you can build a picture of uh, both a competitive set and a sort of comparative set. There's something to look at, to compare to. But in a world without surf parks, you have to look at the next best thing. And so you're starting to round up information around, well, what do other visitor attractions generally do in this location? Um, does that tell us anything? What about other active lifestyle type things? What does that tell us? Like, are there wake parks, ski facilities, um, other water sports stuff? Um, and that's very much on the supply side of the equation. We'd spend a lot of time thinking around demand where are you going to get your visitors from so on the one hand i'm thinking if you take a given location how popular is surfing now in that country or in that region um is it a place with a lot of surfers a lot of high skill surfers places with a deep surf heritage and culture or maybe not um so does that tell us we might have more beginners or more intermediate advanced type people um, well, probably the most powerful factor is just good old traditional sort of population demographic type research. Or I'm thinking, how many people live in this area? What's our catchment area like? Have I got lots of people? Is this like a big city metropolitan area? Or actually, am I in a bit of a sort of rural small town location? Um, we want to know about total scale of population, but also who are they and what's the profile like? So what's the spend potential um that's critical uh and i think really that's the one of the more or most powerful factors for surf park viability because that's where your best potential for repeat visits lies i would always look to try to promote a business model or business plan that says uh you know we're going to get driving repeat visitation from a relatively local catchment that's our core business and then on top of that more the icing on the cake might be visits from tourists or visits from further away, visits from groups, whatever this bit is. Um, but that can be really powerful. So we look at a lot of that. And the tourism market generally is always uh, fairly important. So so I wanted to ask you, uh, within that, do you have, can you paint for us a picture of an ideal scenario to to put for in a wave scheme. pool? Yeah, like yeah, what would uh, be your your fantasy? Like, oh my God, this is perfect. What? What would that yeah, look so like? The, I mean, <laughs> there's absolutely a great range in things like that. And it's it's not to say that one thing is perfect over another because you can always try to tailor the, the 
thing you're making for the place you're doing it in. So I think of that as a product location fit. Like if I'm, let's say I'm in a bit of a middle of nowhere situation, we might think about adding overnight accommodation, a hotel, places to stay so that you expand and grow your catchment area. You're not reliant on only on people who live relatively close. But if you're right next to a big city, that's less important. It's less critical. Um, but that said, in coming to your original question, you know, these things really fly brilliantly where uh, I think it does work really well in a big metropolitan area. We want to be a big city with a relatively high income profile. So we want quite a lot of wealthy people who are very interested in, yes, surfing, but also active lifestyle sort of outdoor recreation in general because the core core part of this is a sort of latent demand uh, which is people who don't really know they're going to fall in love with surfing just yet but are going to and if you provide them with the facility and the access it could really skyrocket that's where the long-term potential lies but we want a big city with surfers other people who are quite sophisticated leisure spenders but are interested in outdoor recreation and a healthy lifestyle and probably with a good good climate a warm climate it's a, it's a huge benefit sure. um surfs parks surf schemes absolutely can work in um locations you know with a classic sort of seasonal profile um with a winter um but winter is harder it is harder so selling surfing in the summer is easy selling it in those shoulder months spring and autumn it's not so hard it's pretty there's a market for that how much surfing you can sell in the deep winter on a Tuesday midday when right, everyone right. is at work, you know, it's, it's questionable. Um, not impossible, and it's very places are doing it uh, all over and plan to again, but you know, uh, it would be better to have a, a long, warm climate all year round. Okay, and uh, you were uh, explaining how many of these these projects have have you done? Um, yeah, I'd say we've probably done about 30 all around the world over a 10-year uh, time frame. Mostly, I would say that is working for the developer, the lead guys, the principals trying to get these things built and up and running, and mostly doing this feasibility work where you work with them. I really enjoy it, and it's we're most valuable, I think, when you meet a project relatively early on, and uh, we can take something from a fairly nascent concept and idea and take a big step forward so you have a nice comprehensive document that says if you do a scheme that looks like this in this location here's the story and the rationale and the best evidence we can find that paints a picture of why it's a good idea and here's a set of financial forecasts and visitor forecasts that sort of say like we might perform at this level um and it looks like a profitable business and it looks like there's a return on investment uh, <laughs> that you could make if you, given these assumptions. And that really arms a team. Mostly it it's, it's, helps them get their own thinking and decision-making in place. Um, so there's quite an internal process, but then it allows one to go external and say, okay, so let's go and try and raise some money. Let's go and brief a design team so they know what they're building now. Uh, let's go and build support politically uh, and in the community and try and get entitlements and the development permissions. It gives a real solid foundation and sort of baseline to, to move from. Okay. And within the 25, 30 projects, 
you've done, I'm, I'm sure the early days must have been extremely difficult because you didn't have the data to pull from. Yeah, um, and it's been and, exactly, it's been a, a, an evolving picture where you've gone from a scenario where no surf parks, no information through to, and we were fortunate to meet some of the early players early in that curve. So we have good relationships and access mm -hmm. and to some decent information. Um, so it's gone much better. It's still challenging because the fundamental challenge in the sector is is raising the money. So lots of people are sold on the concept. They're sold on the technology. They can see this being uh, a really attractive, fun place that people are going to want to go to. The demand is being proven with people buying, you know, regularly showing up and buying tickets at relatively high prices. Um, but the investors looking at these are thinking, that's all great, but I'd love to be able to compare it to, say, five operational parks and, and take a look mm -hmm. at their numbers. And then then I'm confident that the risk is, you know, diluted enough for me to jump in. And it's just slightly hesitant still in the market where there's, there's not quite enough um, confidence on the investor side, uh, which is coming and it's changing as more and more come through. And I think we're probably at a phase within the next year or two is a critical uh, moment where... yeah a whole number of new openings will come through that are helping clear that hurdle and sort of open those doors. Um, but it's so, challenging. It's very doable, and there's lots of good cases to be made. Um, okay. But the amount of information available is is slowly improving. Okay. And so this year with 10 or 12 parks opening up, it might be a watershed moment where, ah, we kind of cracked the code. We know what works. Yeah. It, to a degree, yeah. That's that will double the supply of water parks worldwide within a year or two. Mm -hmm. um, so it, 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 it really helps strengthen the case and prove, prove the model. Because um, long term, okay. this only works if, if they are investable. They have to be able to prove to commercial investors that this is a good way to spend your money and invest your money and get a return because there are, there are other easier ways to get a better return. Right. Um, um, so it does take some convincing. Okay. And, but, None of them are as fun as uh, surfing. No, exactly. Too true. So in that sense, and and it attracts a lot of people who are, who you know, who love surfing, and they're they're partly in it for the passion. Yeah. Um, but there are good commercial models to be applied. But the projects, you know, it's absolutely essential to success to to demonstrate that you can. So doing this good business planning work is is core to that. So is there um, going the uh hitting on working with surfers, is there a point where that's uh, both a hindrance and a benefit? I mean, there's people are passionate. Uh, someone tends to be more passionate about building a wave pool than they would, say, a water slide, I would suppose. Um, are there times where that passion helps project? And are there times where that passion maybe hurts it, like they have blind a blind spot to uh, certain financial things? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and you've, you've you've hit on the critical word, a blind spot. So, um, I often think of it as a sort of surf blindness, uh, where <laughs> people are so into it and so passionate, which is fabulous, and it gets you. It's it's a double sided thing, right? It it can make you a little bit blinkered and can keep things a bit um, as a tunnel vision. Uh, but on the other side, that sort of passion and energy allows people to to really 
take it the distance. The, a lot of the projects may take years and many years uh, to, to achieve, you know, their vision and get delivered. And that only comes about when someone's genuinely, truly passionate and in willing to really to live it and you know bleed for it, which is exactly what's happened in many of the projects that have been delivered. Um, but boy, is it also an advantage to be able to keep some objectivity and take a step back and go, hang on, uh, you know, it's not all about just making a perfect wave that can barrel for really high skill surfers. That's that's a factor here, but. You know, we're also, there's many more bits and more important bits than that. Okay. And um, what it, I'd, I'd love for you to paint a picture for our listeners of among the projects you've done, could you juxtapose um, two that are extremely different from one another? Meaning, uh, you know, you have, I don't know, a high-end rural example and then like a smaller, densely you know, urban, I, I'm not sure what it would be, but just, uh, two that are very different, but still work. Um, and maybe some of those factors that make each unique one work. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's do that. So, um, we, it's sometimes difficult for us to talk about projects explicitly, certainly live and current stuff. There's Mm -hmm. very much sort of confidentiality dimension to that. Yeah. Um, NDAs and, but, um, (laughs) Uh, let's think there's, um, some, I would say where you've got, uh, a big difference between type of climate that you're in sort of a hot weather place versus a colder weather place. And you have to think really carefully about the winter and how that operates. Um, and then that aside, most of it sits in the difference between, are you a sort of a pretty classic sort of city location, at which point I think you can have a a more simple product mix of stuff. You want to have a great lagoon and you want to be able to have people visit, hang out for a few hours. It's probably a smaller dwell time experience. You you come, you surf, you hang out for a bit. There's a nice food and drink offer, other things to do, but um, it's a bit more compact. Uh, and that comes back to that sort of repeat visit type model. That works really well for, for a, a bigger city location. And it takes up less space, less land. But if you're a bit further away, you really do need more than just surfing. You need multiple activities, uh, multiple things to do, multiple reasons to visit. Ideally, probably overnight accommodation. I'm increasingly uh, a believer in trying to have and include overnight accommodation where possible. It really opens doors to um, a breadth of business that you can achieve. So it, it works really well for groups of all and any sorts you can do parties corporate bookings you can have sports teams come and train um people obviously can stay from further afield uh that is i think increasingly uh, powerful it's also something that the investment market is way more comfortable with and familiar you know of investing in so if you're going to present your project to say uh, uh investors who like investing in hotels and their experience with that they'll be they'll get very comfortable with that side of it and then it feels like they're investing in something which is a diversified hotel project it's like hotel with surf and they're like oh okay if you're just going with just surf to an audience like that it's a bigger leap of imagination for them um which i think can prove okay beneficial 
Okay. So I was going more for what works um, for among the projects you, you've looked at. If you could give us a, a theoretical example, just two different scenarios. It sounds like you're, you're, you're saying it's very important. Uh, hotels kind of boost a pro, uh, boost a project, make it more profitable, uh, return visits. There seems to be certain key metrics that they they meet, but those um, have to change. Like you, you mentioned hotels, uh, Waco Surf, they have a hotel. They've shaped theirs because there's such a demand for their wave yep. pool that if you stay on site, you're able to book sessions first, uh, especially during prime season, they book out quickly. And then going back to uh, like, Surf Snowdonia, Adventure Park Snowdonia, where you had the hotel and that would attract um, more families, you know, or people who would enjoy the other elements that are that are on site. So within the the projects that you you're looking at that you that you've worked on, is are there two that are really different, but they're both going to work because they're tailored to that. Spot. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I don't think they are that different, actually. So mm. it's I wouldn't leap to say, do you know what? Here's one. It's like this. Here's the other. It's like that. So then, and they're fundamentally different in terms of the product offer, the thing that you do when you visit there. Where it gets very different is the business model that you might apply to them. So let's take an example. So um, under construction at the moment in Scotland is Lost Shore Resort. Uh, just to the west of Edinburgh. Um, they're a long-term client of ours and they should open this year, but they're in the midst of construction. You'll have uh, the Surf Lagoon pool itself, a wrap of like hospitality F&B type offer, and then quite a few lodges for overnight accommodation in this old uh, former quarry site. Um, and that, I think, is a really good product mix for that type of spot. And it's the sort of thing in principle terms that is being considered in 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 quite a few places um and the business model is very much you know you're selling a it's a throughput model it's your people are buying an hour of surfing and uh you you book your slot you surf and you might come back or however it is but it's fundamentally like selling those hours of surfing if you took the same product mix of things but applied a completely different business model like you made it a fully exclusive members club only that's when it gets really different hmm. and then the question is would you could you do that in the edinburgh market just for argument's sake and uh, in that example i would wouldn't recommend that that's a viable or sort of better approach to go i think you do need to go down the throughput model it's the model that most places are tried and are trying um but i think we will see into the future other places uh, looking at uh, at alternatives uh, and those alternatives you know you can either be a fully exclusive members club only on the one hand you can mix a members club model with a throughput <laughs> model and or you're a, primarily a, an accommodation place you're a hotel resort and you're staying the night is the fundamental <laughs> reason why you're there where you also surf so you're you're sort of limiting the day visit uh, number of people coming in which is more appropriate to, let's say, a classic sort of um, warm weather tourist location. Um, so that difference in business model or primary business model that you're applying, that's when it gets really different, I think. 
um, or you're like a, a, a residential community and it's fairly exclusive use of the surf lagoon if you live there or have property there. That's very different again. Okay. And the, um, while you've gone through and advised on these projects, have there been any where you're you're doing your groundwork, you're doing your metrics and everything, and, and there have been some red flags for it not to work? And what would those uh, yeah. red flags no, very, be? Quite commonly, mm-hmm. quite commonly. Um, in our surf work and in all our work, um, you know, it's it's quite a usual, not usual, but it's, it's, it's a regular occurrence for us to say, do you know what, we've looked at this, we've studied this, and our advice is maybe don't proceed and here are the reasons mm. why. We, 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 we not sure either that the location can sustain the sort of business that's needed or the product mix, the thing that we're going to create, maybe that's not quite right and we want to change that. Um, but that's hopefully exactly why we bring some value to a project because it's, it's amazing the number of development schemes all around the world who get very far down the line and have spent a lot of money, millions, only to bump into a fundamental issue where the question is being raised about what well, does this actually work? And mm. really that should have been addressed right at the beginning. Uh, and a lot of abortive time, effort and money could have been saved. In working with the different technology companies, do you see some designs working better in certain scenarios and other designs working better for other other scenarios? Uh, yeah, um, and we yeah, we work with all the technology uh, companies and the products that are out there and have a pretty decent understanding of them. Um, and again, like we were talking about earlier with the sort of new parks coming through, I think there's a really important window in the next year or two where we'll see the delivery of more variety, uh, which is going to be really beneficial to the sector. And the thing I often look out for, and it's central to understanding the business uh, plan or the business performance of a surf lagoon is is the capacity in the lagoon. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in does the surf yeah most of them will I think offer kind of a great surf experience. So the wave will be good and there's variety in the waves that we can offer. We can do them big, we can do them small, we can go this way, that way. Beginners and experts, you need some range of uh, surf experience on offer. But fundamentally, it's really sits in how many people can we get in the lagoon in a given hour as our maximum and how many of them might we sell at different times of year and if you build up from there how does that work as a business and if the capacity is quite limited that's a challenge from the off so that's where I think uh, I like to spend a lot of time really focusing in on that thinking actually how does this work operationally in real terms? How many people can I get in this lake doing this at that sort of level with that sort of wave? Okay, does that work? And, um, you know, it's not quite a case of the bigger the better, but we you need a decent decent number in a given hour. Okay. And uh, going on that thread of uh, larger, what, and this is really interesting right now, Surf Lakes and Yapoon is uh, doing funding and, and raising money. It's, in Yapoon, so it's kind of removed from a large metropolitan area. They have tons of space. It's a it's a wonderful design, great surf, and so you know, three hundred and sixty degrees of beach. Yeah. Front. What would make 
Yapoon work in a commercial sense? What would you tell them to do? How would you design a business model for them without giving too much away, of course, but just on a sure. precursory no, I mean, that, that, summa- summary? In that sense, and um, that's quite an interesting example in that it's a uh, fairly out-of-the-way location. So you're going to have to create uh, quite a lot of reasons to visit and a lot of activity around the surf um, to justify people making a significant trip. Um, the the surf lakes experience I have never I don't haven't surfed it or but I it, it the, the surfing looks fantastic and going back to that point on capacity they'll be the biggest capacity by quite some margin so you can have a lot of people surfing at any one time doing different breaks different waves this is that's a really big benefit and the more natural location for a product like that which can handle a big capacity it's it's a large thing. It probably takes up a significant land take compared to some of the others. That I would say is most applicable and suitable to the large city locations where there's a very high demand for surfing and latent demand for surfing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, big Australian cities, absolutely. Lots of very high surf participation, mm-hmm. decent year-round weather. Um, if you can get in or next to a decent sized city then fantastic and again i don't know some of the big warm locations in america florida california that could be fantastic i think surf lakes would not be the better best option for say a small town location in europe i think you'll find that there's not the demand to match that sort of product location fit um as much as anything Uh, okay can you paint generally different uh like say europe consumers for wave pools compared to american consumers for wave pools and australian consumers for wave pools uh how much does that affect a project yeah there certainly will be difference and i think there's difference in sort of what you're building and providing probably more difference in operation and sort of how you run it um, I can see uh, some of the fundamentals are probably the same across the board. Um, you see a lot of difference in pricing. Um, the North American market in particular has a much higher propensity for stronger pricing and there's a much greater willingness to pay relatively high prices for your hour of surfing. But at the moment, that's a reflection of a supply and demand. There's very high demand and not much supply, so the price can be high. Um, and there's a greater propensity and sort of acceptance in the market for paying for all the add-ons so you might uh, rent your equipment on top you might um, rent a locker on top rent a cabana uh, people re- it's quite a, it's a very sophisticated leisure market where people want and are willing to pay for a really fantastic full uh, hospitality experience um, I think that's a bit lesser in Europe or certainly the pricing is a bit softer and more sensitive, so you have to be careful there. Uh, and there's probably a slightly lesser natural inclination to want to pay for all of those things on top. You might wrap it into the price, so you have to be a bit more careful in that sense. Okay. Um, and and going into this, um, so say I have a project, I have an idea, I really like a certain technology, and I want you to take a look at my idea. 
my plan for a wave pool. What um, what would that cost me? What is <laughs> the pricing yeah. for your group if I want to hire you on to uh, to help with the project? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, always a tricky one. I'm not sure if I can give you a, a straight answer, <laughs> but we are primarily it's a it's a consultancy role. So we say we start a conversation with a, a developer team. Um, the first thing to do is to really have a, a good discussion around what exactly what do you want? What's the requirement? And um, what's the question we're trying to answer here? So we try and agree a scope of work around that. So it's like, this is what you're asking of us. Here are the things that I recommend that we do. And we explain and we write saying, we're going to do it like this. Here's a list of the things that we'll get up to. It'll take this sort of length of time. A good feasibility study takes a few months. Yeah. Two to three months, you can do a really solid piece of work. Um, uh, we take some care to explain what people get at the end of it, uh, what that sort of document is. Um, and the price is reflective of the, the sort of detail that's being applied to it and the amount of time being applied to it too. So you can do it at a sort of um, uh, lower level, so less time, less fee or more time, more detail, more fee, if you really want the fully comprehensive. There's a bit of a spectrum. Um, but it's, um, I would say, it's it's hard to do meaningful feasibility work. Uh, 10 to 15,000 doesn't really work, it, almost in any, let's say, euros, pounds, or dollars. But if you're sort of 30,000 plus, you can do some, some really good stuff. And ultimately, that's an investment we're trying to make to build a robust case for a project that can pass the scrutiny of investors and funders um, that might cost 50 million, 100 million. It uh -huh. depends where people are going with these schemes. But um, it's, a, I would hope, a veritably good investment and a, an affordable price in this in the scheme of things. Now, is there, yeah, so within that, is there, I mean, there's pressure to, to make it look good. Right. <laughs> and, and how, uh, yeah, yes. Like yeah, come up with a good outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how yeah. do you navigate uh, that? If it's, that's the, that's the, <laughs> that's the oldest, oldest trick in the book. Um, and it's a question of trying to maintain an objectivity and uh -huh. that's the professional role we're playing is we're not being hired as a sort of a yes man. This isn't about, uh, uh, you know, sort of just waving things through just for the sake of it. Um, you do have a professional responsibility to flag the right things in the right way. You can be delicate with it and, and, and you learn where some of those sensitivities lie. Um, but it, it can be a challenge. And I think the, the more experience you get with it, the more you, um, I think are comfortable with, you know, delivering hot news that people don't, don't want to hear or receive, uh, in a sort of sensitive manner. You have to have an explanation. So you have to have a bit of a narrative and evidence to say, look, you know, we were hopeful this would work. And I'm going to explain a few reasons why maybe it isn't quite where we were hoping it was going to land. Uh -huh. But usually our projects, a very, very typical scenario is um, a client's number is kind of higher uh -huh. and our number is a bit lower. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and then there's a game of sort of, trying to meet in the middle a bit or bring those two close together. Okay. Because I have to look at it from the point of view of 
uh, an investor. You're very seriously trying to approach characters to say, hi, you know, please can we have $30 million for our project? And if it's all rose-tinted over optimism, um, they'll see through it incredibly mm-hmm. quickly. Or, or worse, it'll come back to bite you later and you were incorrect on yeah. this and you lose your reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Um, so it never suits to just be uh, sort of over optimistic for the for 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 the point of it, but um, that's part of part of the great game. <laughs> well, what? Um, yeah, it, it sounds fascinating, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of Machiavellian cloak and dagger <laughs> stuff going on. But um, okay, as we close out the the podcast, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. We've got quite a few wave pools opening up uh, this year. What? are you really excited about? Can you share with us a, a project that you're just super stoked about? Uh, yes, there's. I think there's a few things on the horizon that are really fascinating. Um, I could quickly, let's do a quick tour. Uh, I mentioned the Scotland, <laughs> Lost Shore of Scotland, <laughs> I think is a really big one for the UK and Europe in general. Um, uh, so lots of eyes there. Uh, Munich, endless <laughs> the endless scheme in Munich. That's a, f- a really important one for the sort of diversity of the sector. Uh, we've just seen Palm Springs coming through for Surflock. Endless can do the same. That was really interesting. Um, and then actually, I think also on a slightly different tangent, the other technology provider I'm fascinated to see progress with are Allwaves from <laughs> Belgium. I did the we are, just are, posted. Uh their photo this morning on uh instagram they they yeah exactly they and leaked that a looks, photo to us <laughs> uh fasc- fascinating so uh, it demonstrates some of the different um things playing through and there's a whole nother chapter which is a discussion around basically the sort of america yeah. and the states where it's been a relatively comparatively slow start i think compared to the rest of the world but it's it's hitting the boosters and there'll be parks popping up all over the place so it's it's uh, that's where the, the mm. real action's happening, I think. Oh, well, that's that's great. Thank you so much, Matt, for uh, for taking time out of your day to sit down and, and share your story and what it is you do. Um, it's really fascinating because there's from this end, everything is so much focused on technology and you know, maybe some numbers, but you're behind the scenes saying, Oh, I mean, you're basically there saying, Is this going to work or not? which uh, is incredibly fascinating, and then considering your your history and how much you've been involved in the in the wave pool space and bringing projects to life. So, thank you. No problem. Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay, right on, Matt. Maybe I'll I'll see you in Belgium. See you in Nakheist uh, in a, cu- in a <laughs> couple of weeks, I guess. <laughs> Very good. Thank you.